You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I'm one of your hosts, Roger Gaddis. And I'm your other host, Jason Wheeler. We are glad to have you back for another episode and we're excited about uh, this episode. We've, we've got a, a, uh, a fellow Twitter person and a, a fellow grain industry member uh, for all the way from Ohio, swing state, I'm, I, I'm told, uh, Benjamin Nething joins us uh welcome to the show ben thank you for having me i think and to be determined <laughs> so ben tell uh our audience they're 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 waiting with bated breath here but uh what's uh how did how did we all know get to know one another what's the story here how did you end up where you are um it goes back to I was working in Illinois for an ABCD grain company and I was in Kansas city for a training and Roger and I had followed each other on Twitter and Roger, Roger and I had DM'd and we, we met up and we had a, we had a nice beer together. And then a few years later, Roger was hassling me in my Twitter DMS about taking a different job and moving, moving back home. And now I have that job and I live back in my in my home county of Portage County, Ohio, and I work for a grain company called Deerfield Ag Services, which is a white commercial participant. Very nice. Yeah, I uh, every day I check the mailbox for my uh, uh, cut of uh, finder's fee, but I've yet to see it. <laughs> Not coming. <clears throat> So what do you do up there at Deerfield, Ben? Um, official title is grain originator. Um, I also work in truck dispatch, so we have a fleet of our own trucks that are that are moving grain, moving fertilizer, moving whatever you can figure out how to get inside a bulk hopper or a uh, dump trailer. Um, a little bit of just kind of whatever needs done around the office. Deerfield is a is a family-owned grain company. Uh, we have four locations in um, northeastern Ohio. Uh, we also operate in western Pennsylvania. We have one agronomy station and a um, grain a grain bin and equipment business as well. So there's there's quite a bit going on. There's always something to be done. We're not a we're not a company that says this is the only thing that I do and that's all that I do. If if it needs done, we figure out how to get it done. That's that's what America needs right now. That's incredible. It really is. Just show up, put on your work boots, tie them up, do something good with your day. Do you use and straps you know, on your boots? Are you boot straps involved? I uh, I actually lace ups or pull ups. What what is it? I'm I'm a pull up man myself. The shoes, not the diapers. Um, I I was actually taking account of my shoes the other day. And I don't own a pair of shoes with laces. Um, I have pull-on work boots. I have a pair of cowboy boots. I have a pair of uh, slip-on vans. 
have a pair of sandals with straps on them and the, the shoes that I wear to weightlift actually have Velcro straps and don't need tied. So I don't have any shoes. I also have a pair of dress, uh, dress loafers. I don't own any shoes that tie. Wow. Nice humble well, brag on the workout shoes there. Your weight, yeah, weight yeah, lifting. Do you have one of those belts, like a strong man? I actually just ordered one of those belts. And I started uh, I started lifting weights in my garage a while back. It was actually right before the uh, the whole world ended and you couldn't leave your house. And thankfully, I had something to go do in my garage. Nice. You were well ahead of the game on the hermit thing. That's good. I don't I don't ever tweet about it because no one's interested in nobody's interested in what you're doing workout wise or anything else on Twitter. But we doesn't stop us. It's true. We despite our best advice, we all for some reason continue to tweet. Now, Ben, that that brings me to an, another thought I I had that I wanted your comments on it. One of one of your big uh, accomplishments, I'd say, in life is uh now this is self-described, but you've never, never sent a bad tweet. Is that correct? I've never sent a bad tweet. Now how do you how do you do that? I mean, you just you just show up every day in your work boots. You just type in your what is it, 280 characters, mm-hmm. and you just pop back out at the end of the day. Simple, simple man, simple means. It's great. Now it's, I, I would like to know though. When, at what point in your life did a GIF harm you? GIFs are, I've, I've said this before on the internet, GIFs are a crutch for the unfunny. GIFs on Twitter <laughs> are the equivalent of somebody, there, there's somebody that we all know in our life that only knows how to quote a movie. All, all they'll say in a conversation is just lines from a movie or lines from a funny internet sketch they don't have any original content to bring to the conversation themselves. There's, this is something funny that somebody else said. It might have something to do with the conversation. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But that's the sort of, if you can't, that, that's the sort of wit that just posting a GIF, like, oh, look, I don't have a, I don't have a witty response, so here's just a GIF of a butt. Thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, can't argue with butt gifts, right? <laughs> they're they're just they're they're a crutch for the unfunny. If if you want to be funny, write out your words and make me laugh. If now, you're just gonna throw gifts at me, get out of here with that nonsense. Now, do you have the same uh, harbor the same animosity for memes? Memes? If you're if you're out there, if you're creating your own memes. It can be very effective if you can if you can walk the line of topical and and making a joke for yourself. That's that's an art form. Um, now, if you're just taking big bold white letters that mean nothingness and you're just copying and pasting an image, it's the same issue. What I what I really want is give me some original content. Make make fun of me. Make me laugh. Be mean to me online. <laughs> Bully you, if you will. I I am open to cyberbullying. <laughs> Man, I I just appreciate here, I just appreciate some Benjamin nothing on Twitter. Very very strong opinions on on seemingly any topic whatsoever. 
and that's that's what I appreciate. You you, yeah. you don't see that in movie quotes, am I right? It's I the thing about the thing about Twitter. I I started using Twitter when I was in when I was in high school. Um, I was like a senior in high school, um, and I remember I first got my Twitter account to like I'm I'm gonna be an advocate. I'm gonna talk about agriculture. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help people. And it, you're a kid, and you just you had it through college. And what what ended up happening is I knew that I was interested in in farming and in row crop farming, and it turned into it turned into a career in grain merchandising. And I developed this network of people. Both of you, unfortunately, are included in that of of people that, for some reason, we all have a kind of similar sense of humor, and we're all bound by a similar industry. So when when we're not talking about our our industry, we're just making silly jokes at each other. But when there's occasionally once every 18 months, there's something worthwhile that I'll I'll read or I'll see, and oh hey, that's that gives me a perspective into what that person is is looking at. So there. The value in Twitter has been overwhelmingly minimal. It's mostly <laughs> a source of entertainment. <laughs> so essentially, you're saying you like you need to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? For but the, it, but, but we're talking about bales and bales and bales of chaff and like seven wheat berries. <laughs> it just makes them all that sweeter, right? Am I right? The the gentleman who is is the CEO and the owner of our company one day he came to me and very intently asked I think I should get a Twitter account should I be on Twitter just no you shouldn't be on Twitter you have a whole company to run you have all these employees and people you you should you should develop you should have a have some industry peers that you call and talk on the phone. You should take time and, and communicate with your managers, but no, you're running a company. You should not be using Twitter.com. Go spend time with your family. Go go participate in activities at your church. Go talk to your children. Don't use Twitter. And you people, this, you people all have families and children and wives. I live by myself. Well, and you don't have any other humans you live with, but you have some <laughs> infestations that come about. I, they've mostly been eradicated. Well, that's that's good. See, uh, so so that brings up a good point. So, what is your criteria for who should and should not be on? Let, let's let's narrow it down to Ag Twitter, the thing that doesn't exist but we all pretend does. I mean, nobody should tweet. Everybody should spend more time talking to the people that are in their real lives. You should call your friends on the phone. You should talk to your parents. You should spend time with your grandparents. You should spend time with the loved ones that are in your room, but instead we just like, oh, they'll log on to this little rectangle and see what a silly person in Arkansas is talking about. Easy. So what's the draw? Granddad. What's the draw? I re I really do stay on it because I I have made some genuine friendships, some professional professional contacts, some professional friendships from from the website, and that's that's fun. It is. It's it's purely for fun. But I do think that at some point I'm just going to pull the plug and walk away from it, and I'll still have my family and my my friends in my real life. And I hope that my family and my friends in my real life never actually see what I tweet about. Amen to that. <laughs> Except my my dad, there was a 
there was a point in time where at work and in our company it's okay what what should we be doing to engage our customers because we always need to be finding a new way to to talk to our customers to work with our customers truthfully we have one customer who regularly uses twitter.com and he's my dad So did he get on Twitter on his own accord, or is this something you prompted him to do back in your advocacy days? He he did it all on his own. Nice, love it. A pause. I just got a I just got a text from uh, or scale. I got she can't find uh she can't find a contract, and there's a truck sitting on the scale. So we got to handle this real quick. This is live action grain right. originate. Go for it, man. Show us how it's done. All right, after some live action here, uh, we'll get back into the interview. Uh, ben, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience now that you've uh, shared with the group here that you've worked for majors, you work for uh, currently for a private family-owned grain company. Uh, what are some things that you uh, experience have gone through that you'd care to share with the audience? And um, also, is there anything that you would have uh, pointers or things to be aware of for young people getting into the the grain business, specifically grain merchandising business, that you can, uh, uh, you know, give a, a heads up, if you will, to folks. Um, I I guess I can answer that by just kind of sharing what what experience I've gotten to have. So I I grew up in the state of Ohio. I grew up on a on a row crop farm, um, and I I ended up going to Ohio State. I I was not indoctrinated as an Ohio State fan. My parents really don't watch football or college football. Um, I have I have friends that have known they were going to go to Ohio State from the time that they could read and write. And uh, I just sort of as a senior in high school was like, yeah, I guess I'll go here. That seems to make sense. Um, so I, I studied ag biz and um, ag biz and ag econ. Uh, and in the process of trying to figure out what the heck you want to do when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, I I took an internship with uh, with uh, with a major um, and I worked in Lincoln, Nebraska at a bean plant. And truthfully, at the end of that summer, I oh I didn't like merchandising at all. I didn't like sitting <laughs> desk. I didn't like my experience. I didn't I I felt like I would just walked into work and plopped down in a chair and didn't really do anything all day. And I just I didn't enjoy it. And then. I got a job offer from that same company and I thought, well, you know, I don't really have anything else to do. So I will give it another shot, which seems like a horrible way to make a decision. Um, you hate a job and then accept a job with the same company doing the same thing. Why would a person do that? Um, so then got a, got a job in, they, they sent me to, to Illinois to work at a country elevator for a while and absolutely loved it. Loved working at the elevator. Loved the the small town feel. I I didn't really grow up in a small town. Ohio Ohio's a little different. We don't don't really have the the small midwestern towns that other states do. Ohio Ohio's a transition state. Um, Western Ohio is certainly the Midwest where I'm from. In northeastern Ohio, we're we're in the Rust Belt. A lot of former manufacturing towns. So it, I moved out to the Midwest. I moved to a place where it was all about farming. Um, I actually worked in would be called Southern Illinois. And I remembered when I moved there, I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm finally going to Illinois. I'm finally going to where the fields are big and flat and the dirt is black. And this is this is it. This is row crop central. I get there. I spent some time there. 
And I realized that all the farmers still complain about the row crop farmers in central Illinois. Like, no, you guys, this is this is Illinois. Like, this is where it's supposed to be. Like, oh no, we're not those guys up in Champaign and Decatur. Those guys, those guys, that's a completely different world. This is just southern Illinois. We're not so even as an outsider coming into Illinois, those guys are still complaining about the farmers in central Illinois and how easy they have it. Yep. But as far as that that experience and, and being in college, um, I know that a, lo a lot of grain merchandisers, and this isn't meant to be an insult to either of you or your colleagues, but a lot of grain merchandisers, it's kind of a role where it takes you a while to get into that role, um, especially like a senior grain originator or somebody that's really making merchandising decisions It at a smaller grain company. Um, it, it takes a while to find that position because the people that like merchandising and originating, once they're in their roles and they, they have a, a good customer base that they get to work with, they get to do that job for a long time uh, because mm -hmm. it's, it's, a really, it's a really great career. Um, and so it, it takes a little bit to get into that role. And so that transition period from getting out of college, learning about the job, learning about the industry to then moving around a couple times and figuring out, okay, well, where do I really belong? Where, where can I take this thing? Okay, I got the first job, but what, what is my end goal finally? So there was, there was a little bit of the young person's, the young person's life searching that, that happened. Um, I, I ended up in a, you know, I took a I took another job. I moved with that company, and I ended up in a a town far away from home, and in a position where after a while I realized I don't have any reason to be here. I don't have any reason to show up. Just just trying to get better at my job wasn't enough for me. I didn't I didn't have a why for what I was doing. I didn't have good relationships with a, with a grain customer yet because I was new and I was still kind of learning and. I just, I spent some time there and I, I learned a lot professionally, but personally, one of the biggest things I learned was I didn't have a reason to continue moving all around. I didn't have a reason to continue trying to chase after something that I didn't know what it was. And that's where Roger came in and he started, he started hassling me about, well, hey, there's this grain company called Deerfield Act Services, and I'm pretty sure that they're right down the road from where you live. Um, and it ended up that Roger helped give me a little bit of a push and some some people at, at Deerfield made me feel made me feel very wanted. They they said we, we you're local, we're local, we want to be here. Um I, I hadn't mentioned that my my family sells all of their grain through Deerfield. Um I remember in high school as a kid loading corn trucks that were Deerfield trucks. Um, so it, it's a company that's been a part of my family's business. It's a company that's been a part of my life. And now I'm in a position where I get to work in the industry that I like and I have a why. I have a, a reason to be there. Um, so the, the big piece of, of talking about young people in the industry and right out of college and hiring an intern maybe you're hiring a person that's right out of college maybe you're hiring a person that's had their first first or second job um this isn't to say that you should restrict yourself to people that are from the area but i think 
when when you're somebody that's new to the industry or whether you're hiring somebody into a merchandising or origination role or or any role in your company ask them what their why is why do you show up to work why do you want to do a good job why why would you want to go above and beyond working at our grain company at our agronomy company um and that was the a life lesson that college certainly did not teach me hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would have a question too that uh, I'm curious of from what you've seen and, and talking to other folks uh, in the elevator business out there. They've asked too, with, with specifically when it comes to new employees or looking to hire new folks, is that why, you know, from, from your uh, demographic and what you, you know, the folks maybe you graduated college with or knew from high school that's gone into further into work, say, whether it's green business or not, doesn't really matter. But what what are you looking for? What, what um, you know, you've pretty well put on here your why, but if I'm an employer out here and I'm going to ask for the why, um, how, how do I need to approach that as far as expectation level? You know, I don't just know if say, that, that's real. Just you, I know you danced around it. Just say the M word. Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, it's it's not. I, I was I was threatened with legal action if I did. So um, just just call me subtweet this thing. Just call me a millennial already. All right, there we've broken the seal. You said it, old buddy. You know, and, and you know, here's the here's the chance. I'm not asking you to defend or, or or do anything like that, but we do hear that, and Jason can I think vouch for this too. You know, just hearing from folks that uh, are other demographics or elevator company owners or things like that and they tend to have a, a, a certain um, way they want things done but I think the way that you presented it with the why I think that speaks to any any generation um, or people out there looking uh, so thank you for sharing that I, I think that I think that in merchandising it and your mileage may vary but I think that there seems to be a little bit of an age gap there, there are certainly people my age that are 32 and under. I'm, for reference, I'm 27. Um, I was born in 1992. Um, there are certainly people my age that I know that are my peers that are 32 and under that are are finding success in merchandising and really, really getting after it. And I think part of, and then above that, there are people that are kind of 40s and up in their careers or they've been there for a while, kind of the old guard have, have been trading for a long time, have been buying grain for a long time. But in that 35 to 45 kind of range, there there aren't as many, there aren't as many people. And this this isn't my theory, a, a former a former manager kind of explained this to me, but there are a lot of people that were in grain merchandising and grain originating as a as a career. And then 2012 happened and we got some some really good years on the farm from 2008 to 2012. And a lot of people that maybe would have continued working in their professional careers for a long time took the opportunity to go back to the farm. And so as a yeah. whole, there, there's a there's an age gap. So there's a lot of people that are that are younger. There's a lot of people that are older. And the differences between our two demographics is pretty, pretty outstanding. Yeah, it, it, you know, that, that begs the question then now with uh, the, the farm environment, uh, farm price, grain price environment we're in right now, well, doesn't matter what, what you raise right now, it seems like everything's pretty depressed, but uh, 
Right. Is there going to be a reversal out of that guys leaving the farm and going back into commercial grain business? I, I've got my job and I get to work at home on the on the family farm too. So I'm I'm set for the moment and I feel very lucky to to have the chance to keep working like this. I I think one of the one of the comments that I can make is about okay, so you've hired quote unquote, so you've hired a millennial. <laughs> what now? What do we do? Do we what do we just lock it in a room and throw a phone at it and see what happens? Um, I've I've had this this theory about I mean, we're, we're the trophy generation, whatever you want to call us. Um, I've had this theory for a long time because if you look at how my generation was raised by our loving and wonderful parents, shouts to mom and dad, um, I was involved in a lot of stuff as a kid. I was involved in 4-H. I was involved in FFA. I was uh, I was involved in Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, little program, like leadership kind of programs and trainings through high school, um, sports, all, all those things have a, a really distinct time limit on them. You can be in FFA when you're in high school. You can be in 4-H until you're 18 years old. Um, and when you do that, when you're in that 4-H club, becoming a, the president of your 4-H club or the president or the senior patrol leader of your Boy Scout group takes about three years to get to the top. You can be in the organization for two or three years, and then you can have a leadership role in your youth organization, and then boop, you're done. And we did that as kids six or seven times for those of us that were really involved in stuff and held some different leadership positions and put some stuff on a resume. Then we go to college and we do the same thing. Every college student now is has student organizations just tamped down our throat and thrown at us constantly. Um, and it takes you in college, it takes you, you're a member for two years and then you're on the leadership team of whatever your club is and then boop, you're out the door. Then you get into your first job and maybe you're working for somebody that's had their job for as long as you've been alive. And it took that person eight years or 10 years to get into their leadership role that they have. And now you as a young person that it's taken you two years, three years to, to become a, a leadership and a decision maker, now you're realizing, oh shoot, I don't get to make decisions for 10 years, there's always gonna be somebody telling me what to do for for another eight years. And then all of a sudden we've got this, this little box called LinkedIn and you see your friends are taking new jobs and moving around and you can, you get recruiters that'll message you unwarrantedly on LinkedIn. And you know what? I've been at this job for a year. I've been at this job for two years. This person that that is my boss, they're not, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. I might as well bounce and go take a different job for a little bit. Maybe I'll maybe I'll move to a different part of the country for a little while, get a little different experience. And statistically, you make you make more money over the length of your career so far doing that. We're not mm -hmm. people aren't rewarded and given really solid lifestyles the way that our parents used to be able to get a job, have the job, become successful, make your life there. Um, we're, I don't think, I don't think it's that we're flighty. I think that we just, we have a lot of opportunities, at least before the economy crashed, we had a lot of opportunities, especially in ag and grain. I mean, those recruiters for ag and grain companies and agronomists and feed nutritionists, and there, there's all sorts of opportunity if you're willing to move. 
you know, it's just response to incentives. I mean, that's human nature and, you know, but who would not do that, you know? Um, you know, so to that end, what, um, you know, for the folks out there um, at, a, at, a, at a grain company, an elevator that's, that's considering this, uh, what what's what's the advice is it to try to bring in the folks the younger folks in on more uh, uh put a little more stuff on their shoulders and see what they can do as opposed to just uh, setting it out or um because we know you know that like you said the pay there's there's high paying jobs all over the place out there and uh sometimes the independent private elevator is not going to be able to match those uh those numbers but is there something they can do to uh, entice entice them away and obviously a loaded question i I, I certainly believe that um, number one is a written plan of evaluations or if you've got if you've got a person at any at in any role and this isn't just origination or merchandising but if you've got if you've got a if you just hired a 22 year old kid to, to help with operations and do maintenance at your facility if you just hired a new a new driver fresh out of um, fresh out of like a driving school to drive one of your to drive one of your trucks six month a six month evaluation plan and something that tells you okay here's what your path is here's what your next five years can look like for for people that are under 30 we just want to know okay if i do this for five years where where am i going to end up what are my what are my goals what are the things that i can tick off the box that i can stay engaged and continue wanting to do it i mean there are there are certainly people that are, are very are very happy and productive with coming in okay here's what I have to do today I get to go home and I still got my paycheck and that's that's great but there are a lot of really driven young people that we just we just want to know what's next and I, I think we should I think we should be encouraging that we should be looking mm -hmm. for people that are looking for the next thing that want to keep continuing we shouldn't be well you this is your job and this is what you should do I and mean, I, I said at the beginning that a Deerfield if it needs done, go do it. Figure out how to get it done. There are a lot of there are a lot of young people that the fact that we're willing to go take these different jobs and move careers, to me that says we're willing to go do something. We're not just we're not satisfied just like, oh well, I don't have anything to do and I'm just gonna sit in my office and twiddle my thumbs all day. That's not my style. That's a that's really interesting. I, I um Roger and I both we work with university uh folks and everything and we'll go and do some lectures occasionally and, and talk to them about what do you want next and everything. And it was funny when early on when we started doing that, <clears throat> the big thing was to try to pound into and it, it, the age gap thing is is uh, absolutely correct. Right. We have older folks and they're, you know, they're more driven by, OK, what's what's the money and stuff. And, and so what we tried to do is we would try to drill in like. Look, this the starting salary doesn't matter as much as where it's going, because a lot of these careers they can really develop. And if, if you're going to do good at your job, the, the salary stuff will work itself out. And I found, you know, that was the message preached by by older folks at our company and everything to the college students. And then was it a few years ago or something. Uh, the the professor we work with there, he he. Genuinely, he asked some people, he read some articles, and he's like, you know, this millennial generation, you know, their priorities for a job, like starting salaries like seventh on the list, you know, and it's it's all the stuff you're saying. They want to know what, you know, 
what sort of advancement? What's the future of this thing hold? How do, how can I develop? How are you going to develop me with this job and and everything? And and it was it was really interesting. so I think you know you said you know the participation trophy generation or whatever it's, it's kind of like this is the can't win generation because when we found out what well, these people don't care about money like, can you believe these millennials they don't even care about money well it's that's what we've been you know telling them to do <laughs> hey don't worry about the start salary it's, the, a, it's a, and then and then as soon yeah. as they don't it's like i can't believe these you know what don't they understand you you need more money anyways it's but it, but it's true so well anyway so real quick i i think what I'm hearing from you, Ben, is you found fulfillment in the in the job and, and it's a it's a good career. And you said, you know, great career and everything. And that's, I think, companies that I talk to uh, all over the country, that's what they want. That's what the, that's the the great white whale or whatever. But everybody's searching for is how do I get somebody who is passionate about their job, feels gets fulfillment from the job and and wants to wants to do this. and and uh, and so I think that's that's the big thing, right? Is is uh, is is provide that for them. And so, anyways, but I I appreciate all this. Right, I said I want to continue dispatching trucks. I like dispatching trucks and working with truck drivers. I enjoy it. I'll say it. I have fun. Butch and Pork, love them. Awesome. Um, I hate to pause it again, gentlemen, but I need to do my job for a second and buy some soybeans. All right. Sorry about the the pause, guys. I, I and mean, when when the phone rings and it's a farmer wanting to sell grain, I I usually stop whatever conversation I'm in and try to try to answer the customers. I don't Smart. do it at eight o'clock at night or midnight, but during the day I try to try to be available. Um, that makes sense. One other comment about hiring somebody that's new. Um, my own experience. I was I was really lucky that I. I had a strong family base. I knew where I was from. I I always sort of had an inkling that I wanted to move back here to Ohio and be involved in my family's farm in, in some capacity. Um, and I was I was given the opportunity to to go out and do some to go out and do something to live a couple different places, work for a different company. I I would encourage you if if you've got somebody that you think could could come be a part of your organization, could come be a part of your business kick them the hell out for a couple of years. Tell them to go do something else. My my parents did not require that of me, but I think that if I had said, no, I'm not going anywhere, I don't want to do anything, they they probably would have pushed me out the door. I, I was to go out and do something different. And and now it's it's invaluable experience. I'm happy that I'm happy that it happened. So if you know somebody, if you know a young person that's trying to figure out what to do, Tell them to get the hell out. Tell them to go move somewhere. Because the absolute worst thing that happens is you hate it and you leave whatever job you find and you find a different job. Mm-hmm. That's great, great advice. advice. Yeah. That's a it's a big world out there. And and when you look at statistics, it's very few actually do that. And uh but but uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's that's a good good advice. So hey, one one question I had you you did work for a, a large organization at, at one time, and uh, were you on Twitter then? Did you ever run into any problems? I know you've never sent a bad tweet, but has one ever <laughs> come back to haunt you or anything? Got close to did, being bad. Did anyone ever dox you for stuff you said in high school yes. or did anything? Okay. Yes. Um, 
I, I was working for a large grain organization and I was just tweeting away as, as one does. And there, there was nothing in my, so I'll preface this. There, there's a thing with college graduates where they love to post on social media. They love to announce that they're going to be doing something. There are, in the springtime, this time of year, there are hundreds of college-educated young people that post on their Instagrams and their Twitters and their Facebooks and their LinkedIns. I'm proud to announce that I'm going to start working for this company in this role, and I can't wait for all the opportunities that come out to come out to be a part of it. And it's it's just it's odd to me. It's odd to me that at at the end of their college career, they're just I'm dedicating my the rest of my whole life to this company, and you work there for two years, and you go get a different job. Um, the the sentence I'm proud to announce, like we weren't waiting for your announcement. Nobody cares. Text your mom, text your grandma. The rest of us, the rest of us don't. <laughs> and and so, young people that are involved in social media, I, we want to tweet about our jobs. We want to tweet about our careers, and that's certainly a fine line because there are things that you you shouldn't tweet about. You shouldn't tweet about your customers. That's that's wrong. It's immoral. But there are people that do it, and there are still people that get in trouble for it. Um, and I did not have anything on my social media account that connected me to that company. I didn't come out and say, I speak for this company and this is this is what my role is. But I was just just tweeting away one night and and one morning we rolled into the office. There was a big piece of grain news that had just come out. It was uh it was the 199A law or, or mm, policy. Yeah. It was different tax structures for, for co-ops versus private grain entities. Um, and Twitter was Twitter was awash with with rumor and and mystery and it was wonderful and exciting. And the next morning, my boss's boss's boss, who was someone who was in charge of the entire North American grain division, had screenshotted a tweet of mine and sent it to my boss's boss <laughs> with the caption something to keep an eye on. <laughs> then that email was forwarded to me and my boss from my boss's boss where I was given explicit warning to not tweet about that subject anymore and I sat at my desk shaking and cowering fearful that I was going to lose my job and then about four months later three months later I ended it on my own terms and moved into a career that fit me much better Wow. It was meant to be then. Your, your your brush with a bad tweet worked out. Something something it's still not a bad tweet, but something <laughs> to keep it up. Roger tried with the gotcha journalism there for a second. Wait, heck, you guys you guys and, and your employers, your whole company is we'll we'll tweet about everything. We'll tweet about anything. Roger Roger's whole shtick is that he just never logs off and spends time with his children or his wife. It's a it's a skill worth acquiring. <laughs> I well hey man I I keep hearing all these stories about people uh in his DMs and I just I heard another one uh, just now on this on this here podcast so you know his his Roger DM boxes lit. It goes down in the DM in Roger Gaddis's Twitter account. I think that's all that any yeah that's 
all that can be said about that. Uh, it's tough being a vector. Hey, um, so this has been a, a an in-depth and a very, uh, uh, this has been a thinking person's podcast episode for a change. This is great and um, it's been good, but you know, we uh, um, unfortunately have time constraints in that uh, Ben, ben is actually working um, uh, his job today and, uh, and needs to, to get grain bought and trucks dispatched and business running and capitalism uh, championing. Uh, but in conclusion here, I, I've just got one other question to ask you, point blank. Would you rather never be able to listen to another Sturgill Simpson song again or have a public bicycle trail abut your property? I'll give up Sturgill Simpson. I, I refuse public bicycle trails. Right. I, I refuse I refuse new public bicycle trails, Roger. We've been over this. It's a very nuanced argument that we have. Yeah. Well, Let me just say, I'm, I'm, I'm on Ben's side on this. Uh, he's a true American. You don't listen to Sturgill Simpson, though. So, you know. Well, for the folks, for the folks that are listening, God help you all. Roger is an avid cyclist, and I myself am, am an avid mountain biker. I, I ride I ride bikes pretty frequently, and Roger loves and uses bike trails all the time. Roger also lives in the Kansas City metropolitan area. I live in rural northeastern Ohio. There have been in our here in Portage County and next door in Mahoning County, there have been talks of park systems increasing their birth and building new rails to trail system, building new new bike trail systems. I live somewhere without sidewalks on purpose. That is a feature, not a bug to me. And the thought of more people having foot access to my property boils my blood, my red American blood. I bought this ground with my mostly hard earned money and I don't want average Joe on a nice weekend riding around out back with his family where I can't see them or keep an eye on what they're doing on, on my property. Citizens rights. Citizens have rights to private property. And it is appalling that any local politician would try to grab power an eminent domain land that is not going to push forward our economy. If you came to me and you said, we're gonna put in a power line and it's gonna provide efficient power for 10,000 homes and we have to go through one of your fields, you know what, that's, that's the price of doing business. But if you come to me and you say, hey, we're gonna take a 20 yard berth off of the back of your field that is producing crops that are being exported out of the state of Ohio and bringing new money into your community, and you're going to tell me that you're just going to put up a bike trail so that somebody that has some free time on a weekend can go for a nice casual ride. I have a problem with that. <laughs> well, there's a lot of the farmers yeah, in Illinois that also that have a problem with the power line thing too. But you know, that's a, that's another story for another day. Roger, I swear you, you, you uh, getting people's crawls, man, but God, God right. bless, God bless you, Matt or Ben, which, which is it? It's Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin. Okay. All right. Got you. Uh, no, is it, I thought it was Ron Swanson there for a second and I was, I was getting inspired. That was sweet. But anyways, I digress. It's good.
Well, Jason, you got anything else here? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to think of a good movie quote uh, that I could leave everyone with. Uh, I know I know Ben really likes those, but uh, nothing's coming to mind at the moment, so uh, so I guess not. Search Giphy. If you'll search Giphy, you can find something really good. <laughs> uh, well, hey, never never, ben, add, never follow me on Twitter. Don't do it. Can't your 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 numbers are about to get lit. I'm just telling you. Forewarning. You're going to have so many followers and trollings, it's going to be incredible. All right, Jason, take us home. Okay. Well, we appreciate everyone listening, and most of all, of course, we appreciate Benjamin joining us and and, uh, enlightening us on on, uh, many a topic, Uh, some related to the grain business, some not, but all good. We, We appreciate someone with opinions, and that's, you know, Ben never disappoints there, so Definitely appreciate you coming on. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you for listening. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you continue to listen, download, like, subscribe, all those things. Uh, and share us with, with some friends. And for sure, follow us on Twitter. We are at Elevators Cut. And you can follow Ben, too, uh, if you want. Uh, if, you, if you want to read only good tweets, that would be uh, a thing to look into for sure. But uh, but that's it for us today. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.